Many times when choosing a payroll service, you have to choose between a new startup with a great app or an established company whose tech may feel behind the times. With OnPay, you get the best of both worlds, a great app from an established company that's been providing payroll services for over 30 years in all 50 states. Stay tuned to hear more from our sponsor, OnPay, later in the episode. It's great that this is a feature, but at the same time in the world of cloud, it's like kind of dumb or maddening, right? So they have a new troubleshooting hub to help you uh, address common problems and errors such as installation, file, network, and password issues. Oh, man. Three of those are because you're not on the cloud. Installation, file, and network. Like, why? Like, like they're building a tool to encourage people to have headaches. You just gave me like uh, memories of the times when I was on desktop and I had like file corruption issues and I lost a day of work or more. And oh God, I, I don't, I wouldn't ever go back to that by choice. This episode of the Cloud Accounting Podcast is sponsored by Clockchart. Back in October of 2013, I became Clockchart's first Twitter follower. Today, Clockchart has grown to a highly rated and very much loved time tracking app that is now used by over 5,000 small businesses globally. With features like crew tracking, scheduling, overtime notifications, routes, geofencing locations, job costing, budgeting, and reporting, Clockchart has built a robust mobile time tracking app to handle the unique challenges that face your mobile workforce clients. Their technology has been helpful as their clients work through the COVID-19 pandemic. Your clients will need accurate records of their expenses and losses, and technology like Clockchart helps. With Clockchart, your clients can keep accurate records like paid time off and other important data to provide the necessary proof for CARES and FFCRA Act benefits. This lets them get straight back to work without too much disruption after the pandemic has passed. Clockchart's standard plan is just $6 a month per employee. Head over to cloudaccountingpodcast.promo slash clockchart. That is cloudaccountingpodcast.promo forward slash C-L-O-C-K-S-H-R-K. This episode of the Cloud Accounting Podcast is sponsored by A2X. Blake and I have talked plenty about the massive shift to online shopping during the time of COVID-19. This means that e-commerce sellers are dealing with massive amounts of transactions that need to appear in the general ledger correctly so that you can easily reconcile these transactions with a bank statement. ATX will give your Shopify and Amazon clients confidence in their financials because A2X was created with a focus on the importance of the reconciliation process. A2X posts tidy summaries of sales, returns, and fees from Shopify and Amazon directly into QuickBooks or Zero that will exactly match the deposits that appear in your bank account. ATX has won the support of Amazon, Intuit, and has hundreds of five-star reviews by accountants and bookkeepers in both the QuickBooks and Zero app stores. Cloud Accounting Podcast listener and e-commerce expert Scott Scharf said that A2X is the gold standard in e-commerce accounting. To learn more about using A2X and get 20% off your subscription by using code CAP20, head over to cloudaccountingpodcast.promo slash A2X. That is cloudaccountingpodcast.promo forward slash A, the number two, X. Welcome to the Cloud Accounting Podcast. I'm Blake Oliver. I'm David Leary. So Blake, this morning I was thinking like, oh, what's like a small kickoff thing I can mention personally or something exciting that happened this week in my life and I have nothing, nothing. <laughs> I mean, you know, we're stuck at home here pretty much. It's same old, same old. Uh, but the news is quite varied this week. And I, I think we have to talk about the strangest story of 2020. I mean, 2020 has been a crazy year, but the fact that TikTok, Oracle, and Donald Trump are in an entire news narrative that has spanned weeks and possibly months. And Mnuchin. Along with China and Mnuchin. <laughs> I mean, I don't know if it could get any stranger other than the fact that there might be life on Venus. It's it's Saturday, and I think tomorrow TikTok is going to be taken off of the app stores in the United States because Donald Trump has has banned TikTok for security reasons, as we discussed. And Oracle has proposed a originally it was going to be an acquisition, but now it's more like a strategic partnership. We can talk about that later. It's very strange. But the fact that like Oracle and TikTok might be teaming up, Oracle, the enterprise software, ERP developer, the owner of NetSuite, I you know, I just never thought, although I follow accountants on TikTok, like Laurel and Wilson, I never thought that Oracle and enterprise software and accounting software would end up I never thought we would actually be talking about TikTok. 
I fully agree. Like when Treasury Secretary Steve Mnuchin's going on CNBC to discuss this, like it still blows my mind. Like the head of the IRS is talking about this, right? Like we kind of have to. Um, and it looks like Oracle's getting a sweetheart deal here. Like they're going to host the data, and and this is being spun up. Like this is going to create TikTok Global. It's a U.S. company. It's going to add twenty thousand new jobs. Well, yeah, that's what they're saying, right? Uh, but I mean, w- this still has to be approved by the. Justice Department, or it's the Treasury that has to approve this, I think. And the the deal is is strange, right? Originally, it was going to be an acquisition, and Microsoft was trying to get TikTok, um, Walmart, Walmart. So now it's it's like a Oracle partnership where, t- like you said, they're going to host the data, but ByteDance, the parent of TikTok in China, will continue to be TikTok's majority shareholder, and that might be a deal breaker for the Trump administration which is, you know, why it's getting banned uh, at this point. And I'm, I'm not even sure how that would work because, okay, so Oracle is hosting the data in the US and that might do more to secure United States data. But if ByteDance still uh, controls the code, how does Oracle then know that, you know, user data isn't being siphoned off for malicious purposes by the Chinese communist government? Just because you host data in the United States doesn't mean that it's secure. And maybe the administration doesn't really understand this or maybe like Oracle's trying to pull a fast one on this. I I, I don't know what's going on here, but like, because I, like I have, with most apps you use, they're, they're, they're sending 40 pieces of data out to other apps and other internet services that they partnered with or they're connected to or an ad service they're using or whatever it might be. Like the app, like it's just not the app the data has on you. It's all the other apps that have access to your right. behaviors when you're using that app. Right. It's where the data is being siphoned off to, like you said. So if you don't control the code, if you don't, if you're unable to see where all this data is flowing through the code, then, you know, anyway, maybe Oracle can basically provide that assurance. We'll see. Interesting fact about all of this, it, it has really put Oracle in the spotlight in a way that I'm not sure it wants to be. I'm not sure if people realize this, but Larry Ellison, the founder and chairman of Oracle, he is a Trump supporter, which is unusual in Silicon Valley and in the tech world. Oracle has been a prominent ally of the president and the administration. Larry Ellison hosted a fundraiser for Donald Trump's reelection this year. He has spoken to President Trump about the possible use of hydroxo, hydroxo, let me see if I can get this right, hydroxychloroquine to treat COVID-19. And this episode's going to get banned. We're never going to put. They're going to kick us off of every platform. You've taught. You're, you're talking about stuff that gets you banned. Oh, We're yeah. not going to be able to publish this on Facebook. Our, our <laughs> Facebook ads constantly get taken down because we talk about this kind of stuff. So yeah, apparently the president specifically requested the FDA use an Oracle database for a study of hydroxychloroquine. Uh, the study that's the study that never happened because you know we found out that the drug is not actually a net benefit. This is so strange because it's one of those things where it's almost like you know the president's on a phone call with Larry Ellison and Oracle and is in his, in his mind. And then like the TikTok thing is happening and he just sort of connects those two. And then all of a sudden those two are now connected in the national narrative. But I think, but I like said weeks ago, like Ellison and Oracle, like he's been on ever since nine 11, he's been on a kick for every, for the government to build a database of every American and everybody get a special ID card mm-hmm. that Oracle runs the database. Like he's been on this privacy, anti-privacy of Americans kick for a long time. He's like, people should not have privacy. Like, he, he, like <laughs> well, he, he's not a good dude. Well, I, I don't know about that. Uh, I put it, we, I, I put the link in our episode a few episodes ago. Like, well, well, okay. But yeah. just because you want to create a national ID doesn't mean that, you know, you are anti- freedom or anything like that. I mean, there's a lot of reasons why that you might be not want to have that, but I mean, I, I'll, I'll tell you the opposite of that. I have no problem saying Larry Ellison is anti-freedom <laughs> and anti-privacy. <laughs> well, what's weird about this whole like, like TikTok thing and, and with the RS is like, you know, everybody talks about the algorithm, right? TikTok yeah. has this amazing algorithm that services the right videos to people like on their first use and knows what to do. And they're, they're actually asking for Mnuchin to comment about it. And he refused to to talk about it, right? Yeah. It's just very, very interesting. And he, and he goes on to say like, um, and I'll quote him, I would just say, we will need to make sure that the code is secure, Americans' data is secure, and phones are secure, Mnuchin said. We'll be looking to have discussions with Oracle over the next few days with our technical teams. Mind you, this is the person who runs the IRS computer systems yes, that are how old now? 35, uh, They date back to the Kennedy administration. And, and I actually, they're, they're now finally modernizing it. We can talk about that later. That's uh, one of my app updates. 
or one of my IRS updates. And and the algorithm's complete bullshit, anyways. I think. Have you? Have it's you actually. Like, so have I don't you know, signed up and never used it TikTok. Yeah. So here's how I understand it, very very broadly. You know how like we talked about Facebook's algorithm and how it prioritizes engagement, and yeah. that can have a negative impact because really controversial stuff gets high engagement and that gets surfaced into your feed, so it creates this cycle of everybody starting to hate each other and become polarized. Right. TikTok is different in that what it what it does is uh, when somebody creates a video, it packages up all the recent videos into like a, a, a small set of videos. And then it sends all those videos out to like a sample size of the population that's using TikTok. And then depending on which ones that you watch all the way through and like, uh, and which ones that you kind of skip through, it, it ranks the videos and then sends the best performing videos out to a broader group and then does it again and again and again. And so it's like, uh, focus group testing the videos in- instantly. So that- Except for the results are this, right? You're making this sound very technical and highly amazing. And the results are this. If you're a dude and you sign up to TikTok, you instantly get girls in bathing suits dancing. And if you're a female and you sign up for TikTok, you get guys with their six packs showing. Well, that's because like, like, that's, the, that's the algorithm. Like that's the whole algorithm. It's not like, like they can play it up to be some proprietary, amazing system. Like that's, that's the results of it. That's right. the algorithm. It's actually a very simple algorithm, but yes, it has a negative impact, which is that, you know, what do people watch? They watch hot people, right? I mean, <laughs> so that's what you get. You get a lot of hot people, you know, doing stupid shit. On, on people TikTok. have really nice kitchens. I've noticed. Like, people, <laughs> like, like amazing kitchens people have in these videos. Yeah, well, but, that's because you know that's what people want to watch. But no, we probably talked about this for too much. It, it just seems like of all the stuff the IRS needs to be worrying about, and Mnuchin should be worrying about, he's involved in this silliness. It, it's very strange. It's the strangest thing of 2020, if you ask me. Uh, so let's let's move on. Uh, we have lots and lots of app news this week. Uh, many, many updates from Zero and QuickBooks and Square and TD, uh, the bank. We've got Chime, Walters Kluwer. Oh, and we cannot forget the CCH outage on September 15th. Which felt like a redo of May of 2019. Uh, yeah. And then we've got some updates on PPP, on the payroll tax deferral. Um, and if we can get to it, I've got some updates on the Wirecard and EY and 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 whatnot. Um, so perhaps we start with a little bit of PPP news and payroll tax deferral news. Yes, we can t- talk tax deferral. Just an update on that. I know last week we talked a little bit about like, oh well, technically if Trump loses the election, he won't have to pay it back. Now we were technically wrong because he makes more than the wage limit on this, but it's the spirit of the thing. Like his staffers, possibly. But yes. now there's the, the, the small details, right? <laughs> this is why I'm not in tax. <laughs> you have to make about $104,000 a year. You have to make under about $104,000 a year because it's $4,000 every two weeks. Uh, and so, yes, the president and um, most most of the, our elected officials make more than that with their official salaries. Yeah. So, there's an article in the uh, county today. So, the U.S. Senate, the Supreme Court, and the House are not going to implement this order. <laughs> it's funny. And you, know, you would expect the House, of course, to not do it because they're the opposition party. But you would expect the Senate to do it. And Missouri Senator Roy Blunt said that apparently it was a contributing factor was technical issues with the Senate's payroll processing systems. So I guess they couldn't change the systems, you know, or they weren't willing to make the effort to change the systems to do this deferral. Well, they should use Oracle and Oracle could focus on, you know, building a newer payroll system for them instead of, you know, yeah. TikTok. So that's interesting. Um, so yes, nobody's doing the payroll tax deferral except the executive branch of the federal government. Um, and we actually had a listener uh, send us his pay stub showing that the uh, 6.2% Social Security had been uh, not taken out that uh, pay period and was uh, was annoyed at it. So we have a sample size of one saying that they don't like it. So 100% of Cloud Accounting Podcast listeners that we know are participating in this are, are unhappy. We also have the PPP. PPP has stopped, but there's still lots of money left. There's like $138 billion remaining in the Paycheck Protection Program. And I spotted two bills that have been introduced into uh, the House to make these funds available. There's a a Republican effort to 
expand the program or to reopen the program so that small businesses can get a second PPP loan if they have fewer than 300 workers and have seen their gross revenue plummet by at least 25% as a result of the virus-induced crisis. The bill would also set aside $25 billion for small businesses with fewer than 10 workers. And that is being uh, sponsored by Steve Chabot of Ohio and Jamie Herrera uh, Butler of Washington. That was introduced on uh, Wednesday of this week. Interestingly, they're trying to force this bill, this targeted bill, to a floor vote because the leadership, Nancy Pelosi, has said, we're not going to do any piecemeal stimulus. We're only going to do a big stimulus bill. So they're using a uh, seldom used method called a discharge petition where they can force a floor vote on the legislation by gathering a simple majority of signatures. They need 218 signatures to move to a vote and Republicans control 198 seats in the House. So they only have to get 20 Democrats to sign this petition. So I would be interested to see if they accomplish that. And my understanding is this is the only part of the stimulus that almost both sides of the aisle are, are in agreement on. So I could see this easily getting signed and pushed through as a whole separate thing because the money's kind of already available, you know, decisions made. But I wonder if anybody's actually going to take advantage of it. Um, did you see Yelp had some information, uh, survey uh, survey results or, or the state of economy type results? And right now they're looking at 60% of businesses have that it closed. They're now permanent. They just haven't reopened. So of the businesses that closed as a result of the pandemic, 60% of those are permanent closures. Yeah. And I feel like even anecdotally, as I drive around Tucson, I'm starting to really notice. I'm like, oh, yeah, they didn't make it. Oh, they didn't make it. I'm starting to see it more and more. But what's interesting, this is like proof PPP worked and didn't work. They've seen an, a 23% increase since mid-July. So when did PPP kind of run out? Um, like if you got your loan, you're probably looking at somewhere between mid-June and mid-July, like when you ran out of the money, if you got the loan in the first tranche. Probably, yeah, because you were spending it uh, w- thinking of an eight-week period, right? It was two months, essentially. Yeah. So, 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 so people that got those loans, it, it delayed them closing, right. but it didn't save them, right? And these yeah. companies, businesses still closed. And so now without having n- new funding that's available differently, like these people aren't going to reopen. Like this is game over already. And so then who's actually going to, who's going to take out these additional loans? Cause if you haven't taken the loan yet, right? Like, is it because you think you're going to close? Like it just doesn't like there's, there's a hundred and what 30 billion just sitting there still, right? 138 billion. Yeah. So the, the bill sponsored by house Republicans would allow those who have already taken a loan to take a second one. There's also a bill sponsored by a Democrat, Chrissy Houlihan. And I believe it has bipartisan support it would streamline the forgiveness process. So that might encourage more people to take out loans if they knew that they didn't have to do complicated paperwork. The proposal is that some uh, loans of less than 150000 could have their debt forgiven with a one-page form and simply saying that the funds were used in accordance with PPP guidelines without having to provide a detailed accounting of how the money was spent. And I think a lot of small businesses are not taking the money because they're afraid of having to do that themselves and they don't have an accountant who's going to do that for them. And I also think it's, you know, remember how when the housing crisis happened before, people were, their interest rates and their loans, because everybody had those balloon mortgages, right? Yeah, yeah. And, uh, and, and so when that became due, they just, their house wasn't worth anything and they just walked away from the loan. They just lived in the house until... They finally took the keys away, right? And stopped paying their mortgage, right? And so I wonder if this is kind of the same thing. People are just going to be like, screw it. I'll just shut down the business. I'm not paying the, my PPE loan back. So in a way, like, and then you start a new company. You just start a new entity mm-hmm. and never pay the loan back. So in a way, like, we're, everybody's going to get forgiveness. One way or another. One way or another, it's going to happen. Because if, if you're struggling to keep your doors open and there's a pretty good chance you're not going to be open three months from now, why would you fill out forgiveness paperwork and start paying back a loan? Right. Or, or ask yeah. for forgiveness, just screw it. I mean, I think that mindset, right, or that attitude could take place easily. And there's just a, a little bit more economic news out there. So six months in now, most office buildings are uh, s- still dark. Like people are not going back. It's like over half, right? Yeah. And and they have a lot of data on this. So there's a, a company called Brevo. I, I guess, you know, you have like those door badges where you buzz in and buzz mm-hmm. out of a door to unlock it type of a thing. And then a lot of workplaces have that, right? And then unlocks the doors at offices. And they track when people go in and go out of businesses. And and traffic is down 51% in August versus February. So basically half people, half of everybody are not going back to the office. Right. And And that means like nobody is in that office. It's completely dark. Yeah. So you either probably have some offices where 
maybe they're at half capacity, but there's probably a lot more offices that are below that. Yeah. Right? If not, not being used at all. And so it's not, it all ties back to this PPP and stimulus and all that. And now they're saying there's not going to be stimulus until after the election. And it's, it's starting to get tough, which doesn't reconcile with the whole, and we'll get into this, I guess, with app news, because we'll probably talk about these raises and the valuations of these companies and the stock market, um, mm-hmm. you know, these companies going public. Like, like the realities of the economy are not reconciling with the market. But I get the market because you can't get any interest rate if you have cash, right? You, you got to invest in the market. It's fascinating what is happening. I mean, the explosion of e-commerce, of digital banking, of these challenger banks, they, they've just taken off. Anything that allows you to continue to do your work remotely or to pay people remotely, you know, as, as you were talking, right, you guys are doing fantastic over at Melio because people don't want to use paper checks anymore because they don't want to go into that office just to print paper checks. And as we discussed previously, that is one of the only reasons that finance professionals are going to the office. It was like specifically called out in a survey of finance teams. I just talked to a, a friend in New York City. He's a he's an internal controller at a company, and he drives all the way. He has to commute over to New Jersey one day a week to cut fifty checks because they have no other way to do it. <laughs> Amazing. So this is going to be the thing that finally kills paper checks. David, I listened to you on the Cloud Stories podcast with Heather Smith. You had a great interview with her. Oh, thanks. She, she's awesome. She, I mean, it's it's all her. Like, she is a great interviewer. Uh, interviewer. And you were a great interviewee. And you said that. You said this pandemic, the silver lining of it is we could finally in the United States eliminate paper checks and move to digital payments. And that will change the lives of finance pros who and controllers who go to the office only for that purpose. So half of those people that are clocking in and out of the office are the controllers going into print checks. <laughs> That's right. Those are the ones going into the office. Right exactly. Now. So, app news. The big story this week is CCH. CCH is in the news because on September fifteenth, which is the deadline for eleven twenty S corp and ten sixty five partnership returns. They went down. Their e-filing system was not working. And so this impacted a lot of large accounting firms all over the nation. Um, I think this is the filing system that is used for CCH access. Uh, and there's one other uh, of their systems that was impacted by this. But a lot of a lot, lot of large firms use CCH. So I was chatting with a colleague of mine, former colleague who works at a very large accounting firm. And um, she said that in her office, they had 200 of these S-Corp or partnership returns that could not be filed on time and were technically late as a result of CCH. And there's some good news, which is that the penalty, if there is one, will not be humongous because uh, these entities generally do not have taxable income as they're pass-through entities. But there is a late filing penalty, which could be like $200 or something. So if you think 200 returns times $200, that could be a $40,000 penalty for a single office uh, and multiply that by all the different offices, right? All around the country, the, the, you know, of this kind of size. So it, it's a lot. The good news is that CCH is working with the IRS and has pledged on its support website to work with its customers to address potential impact from the fees or penalties, the ASCPA has contacted the IRS to discuss penalty relief. So, you know, given how generous the IRS is being now with penalty relief, um, it sounds so it sounds, you know, hopefully this will not cause a giant headache for all of these tax practitioners. <laughs> and it's not just the the fine itself, right? Um, and getting that waived, it's all the paperwork that could result, right? Having to deal with all of these penalty notices and the clients calling and then trying to get them waived and all that, that could just be a huge waste of time, right? Yeah, it's, it's, it's just a headache, right? And so did have they announced why it was down? Because I think last May of 2019, they had an outage and I think that was like ransomware, correct? <laughs> Yeah, this their hosting situation. And it's funny because the, the article that I'm looking at here in uh, accounting today says that some people received a message that said it was down for scheduled maintenance. Like, like they pre-planned to, to pull it down on the tax deadline day. <laughs> like, yeah, no, it was not a hack. That uh, There's no indication that it was a hack. It was a technical glitch. They had it up and running uh, early morning on September 16th. 
no uh, indication right now what it was. But I, I know you hate the word glitch, David, but I think that's... Well, glitch you know. is a lame excuse of, we don't want to tell you what really happened, and you're dumb, so just trust us it was a glitch. Right. Well, it's probably something technical, right? So, well, but they should do it. Did, a, did it a switch go bad? Like, tell us what what happened. A hard drive crash? Like, what happened? Speaking of penalty abatement, there is penalty relief available to those who missed the September fifteenth deadline. Not specifically yet because of CCH, but because of COVID nineteen. Apparently, according to an article uh, in Accounting Today, the AICPA has been having conversations with IRS officials about penalty relief and have been told informally that practitioners who have made a good faith effort to meet the filing deadlines on behalf of their clients, but are unable to do so because of the coronavirus pandemic can write, quote, COVID-19 at the top of the tax return to indicate the need for penalty relief. You mean like just like scribbled across the top? I guess. I mean, just write a big COVID-19 at the top of the tax return. And then that's your get out of jail free card. I I just think that's really funny. Well, I think it's something you would just try. Like, I'm just going to write this on the top and see what happens. And now they've made it an official procedure. I think I'm just going to start doing that, like, for everything that I do. You know, if I'm late with anything, I'm just going to write COVID-19. Like, Dave, if I send a birthday card to somebody late, I'm just going to write COVID-19 at the top of the card. And then they'll forgive me, right? I don't have it's to like send It's like when them. you were a kid, like, like little Johnny was his homework and he didn't get it done properly or he didn't finish it. And and the mom writes across the top, like he had a fever last night across the top of the homework when he turns it in the next day. Like it's kind of the same thing. Well, we're on the IRS. So let's continue with this. The IRS is rolling out a new case management system. Do you remember talking about the Taxpayer First Act last year, David, and the IRS ancient systems? I think so. Yes. So they have systems at the IRS that date back to the Kennedy administration, the oldest systems in use in the federal government, other than the ones that launch our nuclear missiles. Not so great for the IRS, which has been struggling during COVID-19 because everything is super paper-based. And that's because they have these ancient systems that aren't connected to the internet and all this stuff. So as part of this Taxpayer First Act, we're seeing the fruits of that a system developed by a Cambridge, Massachusetts-based technology company called Pegasystems is going to be implemented at the Tax-Exempt and Government Entities Division. The customer support part of that division is going to start using this new software, which I, I didn't see a name for it, but they're calling it their case management system. The initial release of this will enable this customer support division to scan and copy documents, research case records, send requests for publicly available documents, such as applications for tax-exempt status and exemption letters, and resolve problems, including determination requests for tax-exempt status. Now, what does this mean for the customers of the IRS, right? The tax pros who are contacting the IRS? Well, taxpayers are going to have a digital option to send their requests for copies of determination letters and applications online. Finally, you're not going to have to fax or mail that to this division to get that information. If this goes well, they're going to roll out similar solutions across the IRS. So what is that? the difference is now you're going to be able to have correspondence with the IRS, not using fax or mail. You will actually be able to digitally make these requests and they will be able to digitally respond to them. I see. I- <laughs> The silence is deafening. I I, I was trying to decide, like if I should, if I should say wow, or like I was trying to feel gauge my amazement level, and I just couldn't couldn't find it. I just I I, I couldn't find it to to pull it out. Well, you know, we're we're eliminating paper checks. We, you know, maybe next coronavirus is going to finally get us to eliminate paper correspondence with our tax authority. I did call the IRS this week. What about what? I wanted to find out where my where my stimulus payment was. And did you find out anything? Well, well, first, they route you to a bunch of people that basically just tell you, don't give me your social security number. Don't do this. Go to the website. So the first person hung up on me. So I called back and I got a second person that did that. So I kind of escalated up the ladder. So I finally mm-hmm. talked to a real IRS person. And so I did not know this and all. And with all the communication about this stuff that's been happening, I always thought this was just like, Remember the olden days after 9-11 when George Bush just sent everybody checks? Mm-hmm. You just got them? Yeah. This is really yeah. more like earned income tax credit. So essentially, they they sent people checks, but it's like an advance. It's gonna, you'll have to reconcile through on your tax return. So in my case, because I didn't qualify with my 2018 income, but I did for my 2019 income, when I do my 2020 taxes, mm-hmm. I will be able to calculate the difference for my stimulus payment that I did not receive in this year's taxes. And take a credit. 
and take credit. So it's uh. not re- so. So these checks they've been mailing, they are they're like an advanced on a credit for your taxes. They are not just like here's checks. Interesting. Which I did not know in all the communications about this that we've seen over the last six months. I had no idea. Completely well, because I understand that. Yeah, if you're not a tax person, right? Would would the general public understand this? Probably not. <laughs> well, well, what should we move on to next? We've got uh, Square. How about Square? Square. They have done really, really well during the pandemic, and I did not expect them to do well. I actually expected Square to have massive problems because so much of their business is point of sale terminals in small businesses. And I think they did within the first like three weeks. It was there. It was insane. Their their how everything dropped. Right, but they were able to recover because of their Cash App. So the Square Cash App, which is that app on your phone that lets you you know send money uh, to people and receive it from people. Uh, without exchanging physical uh, cash or checks, has seen incredible growth and has saved them. It was the star of their last quarter. Gross profit for the app rose 167% year over year to $281 million. Square is kind of doubling down on this cash app, and they have released a payroll feature that integrates Square Payroll with the cash app. Employees now can request $200 of a paycheck in advance of their normal biweekly schedule. So if you're running Square Payroll, employees can now request that money in advance. Uh, and Square will handle all of it. You know, it's not the employer's not at risk. And the funds are funneled directly into the Cash App. By doing this, Square is going to increase usage and adoption of the Cash App because they've linked payroll advances to the Cash App. Now on the business side, they're going to let businesses fund payroll immediately using the money in their Square balance instead of waiting to pay through their external bank accounts. So the money is going to stay in that Square ecosystem and it's going to improve cash flow because now businesses don't have to interact with their bank in order to run payroll. They just use the money that they've received from their customers in their, that's in their Square balance from the credit card payments. This is genius. Yeah. So I have a prediction that this goes one step further. Payroll will be free. We are in a march to see payroll be free. I'm, I'm going back, you know, my career... 10, 11, 12 years ago. And I kind of try to talk to the people on the payroll team about this. Like there's a way to do this. Um, you think about uh, a high school kid, right? Mm-hmm. They get their paycheck, old school paycheck. They take it to the bank, they cash it. What are they doing? They're taking that. They're putting some of it to their Xbox Live account, some of it in their Amazon account, some of it in their Apple iTunes account at the time. So you could buy you know music on iTunes, right? And it's being shoved into all these companies, right? These cloud companies. So you can spend the money, right? Like that's where their money, nobody was getting actual cash. And I always thought like you could create a payroll product that it would be offset. Like, Hey, Apple, you, so instead of me, like right now, when I get paid, I can specify what accounts I want my direct deposit to go to my bank accounts. And then I've seen some payroll services where you can actually even specify like, Oh, I'd like to do a donation to some charity. And you could actually have that automatically Mm -hmm. withdrawn from your paycheck too. Now imagine if in the same place, you could say, I want this much to go to my iTunes account, this much to my Amazon, this much to my Starbucks card, this much, right? And so I could easily see Square, if you're paying your employees to their cash app card directly, no fee to use Square Payroll. Yeah, it's brilliant. Because then Square, when you make that payment, right, Square is the processor, but they are also the the payer. So they can make a greater margin on those transactions, right? And, because they're not and, paying a bank interchange fee. Or something like that. Yeah. I, I imagine a there's a direct some... attack on the banks, right? Because right. the, the argument is you don't have to go and get your account numbers and routing numbers right. from your employees. You just boom and you're done. Well, you said this last week or the week before that every payroll processor should just automatically give every employee what is essentially a bank account. You know, it could be a through the cash app or it could be through like a, a debit card or whatever, but you know, don't make that be an issue. Just automatically give them an account and let them transfer the money wherever they want to take it or keep it there, which a lot oh, of people will do. This, like everybody files their taxes with TurboTax. Like, would you like a bank account and have your deposit go there today? Yeah. <laughs> like, boom. They, they set a bank account. They get a deposit there today. Oh, by the way, we know she have a bank account with Intuit. Your, your employer pays you with QuickBooks payroll. Boom. Instant payments. Intuit could build the system very easily. Like anybody who has both sides of the equation, businesses and the consumers. Mm-hmm. And that's that's a situation they're in. Um, Square also had, uh, I don't know if you want to talk more about Square Cash, but Square had some news come out about their actual retailers as well. But let's hear that. I'm done with the, the app update. This episode of the Cloud Accounting Podcast is sponsored by OnPay. 
OnPay is an easy-to-use, full-service payroll and HR software that is the right fit for all your clients, whether they have just one or 500 employees to stay organized, save time, and get compliant. OnPay includes the best-in-class integrations to benefit providers, workers' comp plans, QuickBooks, and Xero. They also handle all the complicated stuff that other payroll providers don't, like agricultural payrolls, including Form 943, multi-state payrolls, and employees with H-2A visas. With OnPay's newly released report designer, you can use enterprise-level data and over 50 data points to create multiple report views for all your client stakeholders, be it the C-suite, departments, or HR. Right now, Cloud Accounting Podcast listeners can get three free months of top-rated OnPay payroll and HR service. To learn more, head over to cloudaccountingpodcast.promo slash OnPay. That is cloudaccountingpodcast.promo forward slash O-N-P-A-Y. OnPay, nobody takes better care of your clients. Yeah, so um, because of COVID-19, people are starting to go cashless. Right. So in, for Square, in February, only 5.4% of Square sellers were cashless. By mid-April, it jumped up to 23% were cashless. And now things are trying to, now that, now that physical locations are starting to open up, it's fallen back down, but it's now stabilized at about 13.4%. Well, that's a huge increase. Remember all that legislation earlier in the year to ban cashless stores? I wonder what's going to happen with that. That's gone away. I mean, COVID changed everything. Right, like it's 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 accelerating all this stuff that wasn't accelerated before, and this is like when you see their numbers go up like this, and we'll talk about some other uh, numbers have gone up. It explains why the stock market and the, yeah. the valuations for these companies are insane. Well, you mentioned into it. Let's talk about QuickBooks Online and what's going on there, and then you have some updates about QuickBooks Desktop as a result of the pandemic. Yes. So I'll do the online ones. So this is from the September 2020 What's New in QuickBooks Online update. Um, QuickBooks Online now connects to Amazon Business. So if you're an Amazon Business customer, you have the ability to seamlessly sync expenses with QuickBooks to review or categorize transactions and then add them to your books. This integration will bring in line-level detail, such as product descriptions, item costs, and fee breakdowns for each transaction. You can categorize each item you purchase separately and match them with bank transactions. And this is like my favorite feature that I've seen enter QuickBooks in a super long time. When I was doing bookkeeping for a lot of clients, my biggest pain was Amazon because I didn't get detail on the bank statement. And so I couldn't easily set up a rule. If I wanted to do good bookkeeping, I'd have to actually go you know, get all of the emails have my clients send me all those emails or do it into a hub doc or a, a, you know, one of those receipt bank, one of the receipt. I tried a bunch of them. And then, you know, we'd have to go and look at their actual Amazon receipt and, you know, code it properly right, as to what it is. Is it computer equipment? Is it you know, office supplies? Is it blah, blah, blah? Because, you know, a lot of businesses, they buy everything on Amazon. So you can't just categorize it to a single account. It's meaningless. So this is really cool. And it's, I've, I've used it. it was, it's been in QuickBooks Labs for almost easily over a year. Maybe oh, a year wow. and a half okay. it's in QuickBooks Labs. And then um, there's another app out there called Greenback, and they do it really, really well. So that way, if, if half the transaction there, they put all the line item details from your receipt. The only flaw in both of these, you don't get to specify anywhere like, oh, this is only do this for purchases on this credit card, like the business credit card. Mm-hmm. Now, you can only pick, you can just pick the transactions you want to sync to QuickBooks or match, right? But all your personal transactions, and Amazon are on there. Unless you set up a whole different user ID and password for Amazon and mm-hmm. only use your business ones through there. But if you're you're like most entrepreneurs, you just you're all you're doing is changing the payment method and what you're buying. So all my normal, all my, you know, the other junk coming into my house are all in this feed. I got it. And that's a little annoying. But it is convenient though when I want to have the documentation because frankly, the receipt Amazon set sends you doesn't have good details in it. And if you send that to auto entry or one of the receipt scanning people, it doesn't come in very well. So yeah. like services like this, pulling it through the API of Amazon are, are definitely way better, but they're not, they need to take that next step to where they're smarter, where just pull in the ones on the one credit card. I don't Great need point. to see my water filter I bought my, for my refrigerator um, in my QuickBooks. Also new in QuickBooks Online Advanced is industry benchmarks in the Performance Center. Now you will see industry benchmarks for net profit margin and gross profit margin uh, on those KPIs. I feel like this is of somewhat limited use given that 
you know, you don't really know what is the quality of the data, where are they getting this information from? It is cool, though, to see the industry benchmarks come back after going away for a long time. Like this is one of those things that Intuit has you know, added in and then taken away and added in and taken away for years, right? We also have QuickBooks Payments Instant Deposit Automation. This is coming soon. So instant deposit is where you can pay a small fee and you can have your credit card receipts deposited instantly, basically advanced to you into your account. And now you don't have to go and do that manually. You can specify the days of the week where you want those automatic instant deposits. So you can say, I want them on Mondays only, right? Maybe you only want it on the day when you're going to run payroll or something like that. Maybe you're a restaurant or bar and you're busy on Friday. So you want to instantly put in on that day only. That makes sense because I think that right now, even the uh, next day deposits, you opted in on QuickBooks and you opted in for all of them. I'm like, yeah. even though it's kind of made out to seem like, yeah, just pay 10 bucks for this one deposit and I opted into all of them. Yeah. yeah. Uh, also new, Guideline is now built into QuickBooks. So you can get a 401k plan for your business and you can sign up your employees. I have been a Guideline user for, I guess, a few years now. My previous company used it and I think it's great. So that's really cool because I, I don't have it on hand, but I saw a stat that like a really depressing number of small businesses offer retirement plans to their uh, uh, employees. And I think a big part reason is that it's just so hard to administer. So that'll hopefully um, um, make more, more businesses do that and, and people will be saving for retirement. And that's all the QuickBooks news I've got. I get QuickBooks desktop updates. Oh yeah, let's, let's talk and, about desktop. Essentially, the, the gist of this is they're putting changes in because all the QuickBooks desktop users had to do what? Work from home. Hosting, right? go to the Hosting. cloud. So they're getting tons of requests. So this is a product manager at QuickBooks Desktop Enterprise, um, uh, Rashna Arya. Hopefully, I'm saying her name right. So she said that there's been a rise in customer request um, for remote hosting solutions. No so, surprise there. So one of the things they've done is they've created, you know, of course, this is the Intuit way, right? Create another sales level of QuickBooks. You could buy QuickBooks Desktop Plus, and then it gives you a discount on some some hosting options that are available. But uh, that's not really as interesting to me. But uh, but reading these notes, so did you know um, they have a desktop mobile app? I had no idea. How, how does that even work? There's a QuickBooks desktop mobile app, and you can actually use that now to photograph receipts and categorize expenses. Huh. Like out in the field. So, which I did not know existed before. Um, and then they've released a bunch of tools to help you install QuickBooks. So, like uh, to install the desktop products from one management tool. And then they also have a secondary tools hub, which I think is like, um, it, it, it's great that this is a feature, but at the same time in the world of cloud, it's like kind of dumb or maddening, right? So, they have a new troubleshooting hub to help you uh, address common problems and errors such as installation, file, network, and password issues. Oh, man. Three of those are because you're not on the cloud. Installation, file, and network. Like, why? Like, like they're building a tool to encourage people to have headaches. <laughs> you, you just gave me, like, uh, memories of the times when I was on desktop and I had, like, file corruption issues and I lost a day of work or more and... Oh God, I, I don't. I wouldn't ever go back to that by choice. And then, um, because of COVID, people need loans, so QuickBooks Capital is coming down into QuickBooks Desktop now, so they can apply for it right side of QuickBooks Desktop. But I mean, the gist of it is, you know, a lot of this is working remotely, uh, administering this remotely, installing it remotely, and it's just switch to QuickBooks Online. Like, like that's it. Every one of those phone calls, how do I host my QuickBooks? Let's switch to QuickBooks Online. Like it would probably be the easier phone call, but yeah, so a lot of changes for QuickBooks Desktop announced there. Well, let's talk about Zero. Zero has revamped its U.S. plans. The starter plan, I believe it was called the starter plan, is now called Early, and uh, that's the one that's nine dollars per month. That's the list price. They usually have you know discounts. Right, so I'm just thinking out loud. So simple start from QuickBooks is ten dollars a month. So this is nine dollars a month. It's kind of falling into that. Yeah, I'm just getting going. Okay, so. Yeah, so that's the equivalent, right? And um, it's always sucked, in my opinion. Like, I never had anyone who used it. It was really just, I think, like a an inbound funnel tool, a lead gen tool for zero on the direct side for small businesses that are just getting started. And accountants wouldn't, you know, never use it. I never had a client that could use it. And it was super limited before, right? Like super, like you could only do like one invoice a month or something. It was like super limited, right? Right. And actually, the, this is. I'm glad you're calling this out because the most annoying part was that they had a limit on the number of transactions you could reconcile every month. And it was really low, right? It was like 20 
lines or something. So that you can reconcile. Yes. So they would just sit there until the next month, and then you could reconcile twenty more. And you know, like I'm sure accountants love that. (laughs) It was so painful. So they removed the limit on bank rec. So you can you can reconcile. I think it sounds like an unlimited number of transactions, which is great because now it's more equivalent to that cash version of zero cash book, I think is what they called it, where, um, you know, it was like 12 bucks a month, only available to accountants. I think they still have a, a version of that. And, and that allowed for unlimited bank recs, um, but didn't have invoicing or bills, but it was good for write-up work. And actually that's one of the things that drew me to zero from QuickBooks originally was the fact that they had that affordable, basically bookkeeping for accountants version where I would pay 12 bucks a month and I could do all the bookkeeping, even if my clients are using some other invoicing solution, right? I could do my write-up type work. Yeah, write-up work, yeah. so, so now early is more like that. No limit on bank recs. And they've expanded the number of invoices you can send from five to 20. And it includes HubDoc. This is, I think, a very appropriate and aggressive move to attack into it on the direct side. And honestly, on the accountant side, because for nine bucks a month, you can do a lot, right? You can customers, you can send 20 invoices, you get the receipt processing with HubDoc, and you get unlimited bank reconciliation. So this is a good value. And if and if you get on this and you grow, you just you just you just basically unlock the different zero plan and you get more features. Like it's not you're not you're not stuck. And that's the one issue I always think with Intuit, they have their um self-employed, but you're stuck. You can't migrate to a different QuickBooks product if you're on that. And so if you mess up and choose you you choose that because it's five bucks a month instead of choosing simple start, you're kind of set up for a wrong path if you choose the wrong one. But yes, I get it. For self-employed, it's really targeted at Uber drivers, right? True gig workers. And those a gig worker is never gonna go from being turn their business from being a gig worker into a real business. Like there's no path for that. But I think a lot of people will opt into that because it's cheap and then they outgrow it. And then now they have to change their data and start over. Um, So, so it sounds like this is going to be, it's the same product. Yeah. And and then just, you know, for the folks who are not familiar with zero's pricing, you can then move up from this $9 per month one to their, their standard plan, which is called growing. Now that's 30 bucks a month. That includes the bills. Um, Actually the early one includes up to five bills growing is unlimited. So now you can do all your unlimited invoicing bills, et cetera. And then they have this established plan, which I think is, there's like a QuickBooks that's 70 bucks a month. And this established plan is $60 per month. So that's kind of the equivalent. And that one adds multi-currency expenses and projects. And speaking of projects, Zero has released a new profitability dashboard in Zero Projects, where you can see the total profit margin, all work invoiced, costs associated with the project, a highlight of outstanding invoices, as well as how the project is tracking against estimates. And the idea is to make it easier to identify which projects are the most profitable and which need tweaking. So that's interesting. And is there something like that on the QuickBooks side where you can do this project um, costing inside of QuickBooks? Yes, there is because you can track um, to classes and locations and jobs. So there is some levels of job costing and project costing inside, Mm -hmm. but it's kind of where it's just good enough I think if you are a small contractor, you want to look at like an add-on app like Noify. If you're, you know, maybe professional services, um, um, BQE Core, right? So there's add-ons to QuickBooks that that are that next level deeper. But I think in a way like Zero is catching up to QuickBooks on this projects type stuff right now. Last update is their enhancement to uh, short-term cash flow and business snapshot tools. So Zero has this new short-term cash flow tool where it will forecast your bank balance for the next 30 days based on your bills and invoices in the system. And that was originally made available to customers during COVID-19 and they were going to charge more for it. It was going to be an add-on thing. They've decided to make that an ongoing feature in the platform. So now that's going to be part of the the solution uh, just built in and they're going to enhance it and make that like an optional add-on kind of price. Oh, and that, so that's not included in the starter plan. I actually am not clear on that, whether or not this, well, I don't think it could be because uh starter limits you to like five bills. So, well, I guess it could be, but you're going to be limited in the number of bills you can enter. So if you got more than five bills, you're not going to get a clear view of your cash flow. So, so at this, at this point in the game, right? Like why even have a plan that's five to $9 a month or $10 a month? And this is for zero and into it, right? Because yeah especially Intuit. Intuit is all these things, add-on services, 
right, right? right. They can sell you, right? Can, you can open up a bank account now with Intuit and the payroll and all these other things. And obviously the banks are coming, right? The banks are adding in GL services. We've talked about before, Square's going to add a GL. It's only it, it, any day now we're going to, that'll be the biggest story of the week, right? GL, they'll just open up a GL, but it's going to happen. There's no doubt that that March, would it make, mo- isn't it in like zeros and into its best interest right now to offer their cheapest plan free forever? Hey, you want to do 20 invoices a month on zero? It's free forever. Like just get people locked in to the e- – because it's hard to switch once you're on the platform. Right. Well, I, I think we'll eventually get there. That's probably where it's heading. I mean, at nine bucks a month, you're, you're all they're doing is covering their hosting costs, right? That's just their cost of goods sold at that, at that point. But, but so think about just- the logic, right? When you're still brand new starting, like even nine bucks a month, you're kind of like, it's a little much, you know, yeah. when you're, when you're well, just starting your business. And I'm thinking maybe it's just if somebody's not willing to pay you that much, uh, they're just going to suck your support team's time up. That's possible too. You got to have some barrier to entry, or it's going to cost you. But uh, you know, let's talk about the world outside of QuickBooks and Zero because there is one on the small business side, and let's talk about banks that are becoming GLs. We've been talking about GLs that are becoming banks. TD Ameritrade has rolled out online accounting integrated with their banking for small business clients. It's using tech developed by a Detroit-based company called AutoBooks. And AutoBooks describes itself as an integrated accounting and receivables platform. And I went to the website, and this is fascinating. They are selling to banks. They don't sell this software, or they're not trying to anyway, sell the software to end customers, it sounds like. They are building an accounting software that is designed for banks to use for their customers to integrate into their platform. So uh, what does AutoBooks include with TD? You can send invoices electronically, accept payments digitally, automatically reconcile your statements, create financial reports, and access dashboards with real-time data and insights. And I think we've talked about AutoBooks a long time ago. So it looks like they pivoted right to go straight to banks because that makes sense because banks are desperate to have GLs. Like it's it's a smart pivot. Like instead of trying to compete with Intuit, I mean, compete a different way. So uh, that ties in really well. It's Um, so fascinating. And this is the big like battle that is going to occur. It's already started, right? Banks are going to have accounting. QuickBooks and Xero are going to become banks. You know, you, you even have like payment processors who are becoming banks. And then you called it, David, we're going to see Square, I think, add a GL option at some point in the next few years. And, and then it's this this shift, right, to cloud is happening and now cloud finance is happening, right? Um, everybody's seeing these, this shift. And so we're starting to see this in the, the data from uh, Plaid. So remember Plaid? Plaid powers most of these apps you're using. Yeah, all the bank integrations, right? A lot of that is Plaid. And now, right, so Plaid, it wasn't even a year ago, or was, yeah, less than a year ago, um, Visa bought Plaid for $5.3 billion. And I'm starting to think Visa got the deal of a lifetime because what they're seeing is now the pandemic is here, 59% of respondents in their survey are using apps to manage their money than they ever did pre-pandemic. So there's whole shift from physical banks and banks and paper checks. Like we're just, I mean, it's kind of a theme of the show this week, right? Is the shift of what's happening. And so Plaid's starting to see data on this, that it's just, it's through the roof. Not only that, now banks are becoming more and more interested in utilizing Plaid. You know, how do I get a mobile app? How do I get, how do I offer my customers access to the bank feeds and to my data? And they're basically they're seeing like across their use customer base, 70% increases in usage. Well, uh, speaking of banks and digital banks, Chime, the challenger bank, an app-based bank, is now worth $14.5 billion, which puts it beyond Robinhood as the most valuable U.S. consumer fintech. Chime was founded in 2013, and in their latest fundraising round, it's a Series F, you don't get that far in the alphabet too often, they raised $485 million, which doubles its valuation from December and makes it worth 900% more than just 18 months ago when it hit a 1.5 billion valuation. So they went from being worth 1.5 billion to 14.5 billion in a year and a half. And they are planning to be IPO ready within the next 12 months, according to the CEO. Although they said they're not going to lock themselves into that. They're not going to necessarily commit to that only if it's the right timing. We've talked about uh, Revolut out of um, Europe, right? And Revolut has launched their whole business 
Revolut Bank business, right? Chime has not said anything about business yet. And it's interesting. Um, the CEO, Chris Britt, he said, quote, we're more like a consumer software company than a bank, unquote. So they really view themselves as consumer centric. And I, I don't imagine they will be trying to target anyone else uh, in the near term, because why would you, when you see growth like that, stick with what you're doing that's working? Yeah. And he said that they're adding hundreds of thousands of accounts a month, hundreds of thousands, although he wouldn't say just how many users they have. After this fundraising round, they now have almost a billion dollars in cash in the bank. They could buy they could, they could they could buy a cloud accounting app and jump right in if they wanted they could. to. They probably could, right? One of these smaller ones. Um, so you want to jump uh, overseas and talk about now Europe's highest value private fintech company? What is that? So um, we talked about them a couple of weeks ago, Klarna, K L A R N A. So they're mm-hmm. one of the buy now pay later apps. The yes. Like after pay, we talked about these companies. Well, they took a $650 billion investment. Uh, $650 million or billion? Oh, the article says billion, but it's got to be million. Is that what they're valued at or is that what they took? Um, no, it's going to now value them at $10.65 billion. How, Wait, how can they take okay. $650 billion? They take, and- So, I think there's a typo in the article. Oh, okay. <laughs> so, they took, 600, they took $650 million and that now their valuation is 10.65 billion which makes them Europe's highest valued private fintech company. Wow. So like all these fintech companies these quote unquote new banks they're taking off. Those are the companies that are going to win in the stock market and that's why they all want to IPO soon, right? They, so they they're they're boasting that they have a billion in annual sales now with over 3500 global employees. So the these services and these new banks and these online ways to move money around through apps and find like this new, which just used to be like a hashtag fintech, like five years ago, it was kind of, nobody was really in it. And now it's leading everything because of the pandemic. Amazing. Well, I have one last app story and acquisition. Walters Kluwer has bought XCM Solutions. XCM is a cloud-based workflow solutions provider for professional tax and accounting firms. I've used it in my professional career, really popular in tax as a way to route tax returns. They have about 440 employees located in the US and India. And something interesting that I did not know until I read this article is that they actually were spun out of an accounting firm in Massachusetts in 2002. So an accounting firm building software for itself creates workflow software that it then sells to the world. The deal values XCM at $161.4 million. They recorded revenues of $22.5 $22.5 million in 2019, and three quarters of that came from cloud-based software. So I did the math on this, and if you divide their valuation by the revenue from cloud, it's about 10x earnings. So that's a standard tech valuation there, right? Multiply your annual earnings by 10 times. XCM and Walters Kluwer have been working together since 2006, so this is not a surprise. They've had an yeah, and I think from my, I, I, I mean, this was announced. I was like, they don't already own them. I had no idea. Like, <laughs> as far as I, my whole, like, my entire career, I had no idea that they weren't already owned by them. So now it's official. Uh, and last bit, actually, I lied. I got one more. Uh, Epicor Software, the maker of ERP software that is very popular in manufacturing, they have been sold. Uh, they were owned by KKR, a private equity firm which bought them in 2016 for $3.3 billion, And they have now turned around and sold them four years later to a private equity firm called Clayton DeBillier and Rice for $4.7 billion. And that's it from me. Uh, so I have a f- one, two, three, four, five more app stories. We can just- <laughs> All right, well, you got to run through them quickly because we're, we're almost fast. out of time. We're going to pass. So Acumatica, which is basically a uh, higher-end um, ERP software, they've really changed their- because of COVID, they've changed where they're headed now. So they've a uh, heavy integration now, deep integration with Shopify. They now have uh, advanced expense management and they also have bank feeds now they've added, right? And they've actually added a point of sale for people that are doing omni omni-commerce. So they're shifting because of people having to work at home. Airtable, I don't know. Have you ever used Airtable, Blake? Uh, I don't think so. So we use Airtable to run the podcast. So, so you, you, you are using oh, it. I have used it. Okay. So that's what you yeah. use for the sponsorship slots. Sponsorship slots, right? And um, essentially, when I discovered Airtable six years ago, and I remember talking to people at Airtable, I was like, oh, one day accountants are going to discover you and they're going to love you. And so Airtable kind of falls into that. You've probably heard the term we've talked about no code. Right. Right. And so you can 
it's like a spreadsheet that you can, but it's really a database and you can connect things to it. You can connect uh, Zapier to it. You can build out uh, your basically like miniature apps, right? It works out really, really well. So they just raised $185 million and their CEO was just brutally honest about it, which I think is really cool. He just said, we didn't need the money. But he said, once COVID hit, they didn't. They wanted to seize the opportunity and not have to worry about the economy like, if there's little waves of this, right? If they just want to have long-term funding so they can just not be distracted by the market and just continue to push forward. And the other reason is they have a lot of competition now. So mm-hmm. in June, I, I don't even know how we missed this, but in Amazon launched something called Honeycode in June. And basically, it's a spreadsheet program that if you you create the spreadsheet and, man, and you magically build an app to host on Amazon Web Services, uh, micro, Microsoft released something called Microsoft List, which is a similar product. Rumor has it Google's making a product, right? And so these no-code platforms, is, I, I think accountants are going to love these because I think a lot of accountants have like programmer minds, but yeah. they just don't know how to write code. And no-code platforms are, are really like big, huge Excel formulas. And so I think you're going to peep, I think these no code tools are going to be super popular with accounts and bookkeepers. So it's good to see that they have another round and, you know, they're going to keep growing and improving that platform. And 100% on that, just what, just before you finish, like, um, defining your workflow is like the number one trick to making a cloud-based firm work, right? Is having a really, really solid workflow. And, and so I did something similar. I I wish these tools had been available when I had my firm, but I used a, a tool from Citrix called Podio which was like similar where it's, it's a, I remember that app. Yeah. So it's a custom database with a communications layer on top of it. And, but it's basically a spreadsheet, right. With automation built in, you can connect um, uh, different uh, columns, different columns. You can, you know, create formulas, essentially create workflows and automation. And uh, it's like, so this sort of thing is not new, but the fact that there are now so many options and different styles of it is like really exciting. Maybe, maybe finally Excel's met its match. It won't Maybe. be the, the number one tool. And then I have two other teeny app news because I always love it when accountants build apps. So one of them is uh, Bookkeeper 360. Oh, yeah. I saw this. So they launched uh, an app. And basically what this app does, it, it integrates with Zero, And I think Bookkeeper 360 also, uh, they, they have a lot of expertise in Salesforce. So I imagine this mm-hmm. um, integrates in. And Nick Pascarosa, so he's the founder and CEO. He's actually a listener. I think he, he's on our homepage. He left us a great review once. Um, oh, yeah. Podcast. So this basically will uh, create performance dashboards, cash flow dashboards, real-time metrics, right? And on-demand access to your bookkeepers, right? So in a, in a weird way, like it, it, it's, it's not really a QuickBooks Live model, right? But imagine if you have – this app is now your middleman between your zero data and the bookkeeper you're working with at Bookkeeper 360. Well, and just from a marketing standpoint, man, what a great way to get your firm, your bookkeeping service visible is to like be listed as an app in the zero marketplace. Now you're surfacing to all those zero users in a way that none of your competitors are. This is pretty awesome. And it looks like it's a real app because I know there's these companies that will like help accounting firms create these apps. And oh, then yeah. It's just it's like... like a- it's a glorified crappy portal most of the time. Or business card or portal. Yeah, yeah. 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 And it looks like everybody else is and it's just not great. But this looks like it's a true – like this looks like a standalone separate product. So if people are searching in the, the market, this is going to be a way for them to get new new customers. That's awesome. Because it looks like a standalone product. And then the last one is uh, Michael Lee, who's a listener as well. She's a fan of the podcast. He His product, um, Sassable, that he launched now integrates with QuickBooks and is now in the QuickBooks App Store, which is a huge um, milestone to get to. And so the, uh, That's really cool. the app basically uh, helps automate the recurring revenue metrics in a real-time dashboard as well. For so, uh, software as a service. Software as a service companies, yep. So, Very nice. Well, that is all the time we have today, David. Cause it's Saturday and my kid wants to go to the pool. You know, I gotta, I gotta go do something else other than just talk about accounting and apps. Although I would love to do this all day long. So if we want to continue the conversation, where's the best place for people to do that with us? Definitely. You can reach me on Twitter. I'm at David Leary and on LinkedIn. I'm at David Leary. And also Blake, just so we don't forget, we're going to be appearing and doing a keynote at the Accounting Finance Show virtual conference on October 20th. Oh, yeah. That's going to be really cool. So, we'll have links to that in the show notes. Um, Hopefully, the the plan is to have a cool survey, and then we'll talk about the results. And we're going to record it and release it as an episode. It'll be a live recording, right? Yes. Yes. You can reach me on Twitter. I'm at Blake T. Oliver, and on LinkedIn as well. If you do connect with me, please say that you're a listener, or you can say I'm not a bot. That's how I know. And uh, if you want to 
leave us a message, you can call our listener voicemail line. What is that number, David? It's 202-695-1040. Let us know what you think, 202-695-1040, about any of the topics we have discussed or anything that's top of mind for you. You could call in anonymously and tell us about how that uh, CCH outage went for your firm. I'd love to hear more stories beyond my own personal network. I think that's it. I, uh, the, it's interesting. That phone number you picked, I said I called the IRS this week, and I noticed, I was like, oh, their phone number is 1040 as well. Until next week, David, have a great, um, you know, whatever it is you have, right? It's another week. Another week (laughs) of of Zoom calls. That's right. Another week of Zoom calls. Take care. Bye. Time for the classifieds. Still sending spreadsheets of unclassified expenses to clients? With Client Hub, automate this process and get client answers instantly. Client Hub is a client communication platform that helps you consolidate client communication, securely share files, and instantly get answers and much, much more. Get started today with a free trial at clienthub.app and enter promo code CAP25 for 25% off your first three months. Client Hub, frictionless client communication. Want to get the word out about your newsletter, webinar, party, Facebook group, podcast, ebook, job posting, or that fancy Excel macro you just created? Why not let the listeners of the Cloud Accounting Podcast know by running a classified ad? Hit the show notes for the link to get more info, and be sure to check out our special stimulus pricing of four episodes for just $100.